And welcome back to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet, and today I have a lovely, beautiful, fantastic new guest to the show, but I've been on his before, the awesome Mikey J from KGUP Presents or KGUP Radio. So anyway, how are you, lovey? I am doing great, and I'm very honored to be on your show. So thank you for the invite. I'm super excited to have a chit chat with you. So Finally. for listeners who don't know who you are, explain Mikey J to people. Uh, that's funny. I Who are you? What do you do? Where do you live? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I always have a hard time organizing my thoughts because my career in radio and like the television world began in like, I don't know, 2009. And... It was really an accident because I had no intention of getting into radio or television or doing this sort of podcast. It really started when uh, my job as a NASCAR writer back in like 2007 be started to like be come to an end around um, around 2008, and uh, I decided to go back to school, go to college, and pursue a career in journalism. Um, and yeah, because my income was starting to deplete, everything was like, everything was based on clicks and driving mm -hmm. traffic. It wasn't about writing your articles. Right. So I was making less and less money. And I was like, I can't make a career out of this career out of this. So I decided to just quit completely and went back to school. And I thought, oh, I'll just get a degree in journalism because I had no prior career. I just was ambitious and i wrote a bunch of articles sent it to to a nas you know an editor and then they're all like this is, you sound like you've been writing for years so i'll, I'll put you on the payroll and i was like yes but, you know. <laughs> yes please <laughs> and it and was a lot lots of, fun. of zeros behind it <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't even like nascar for <clears throat> i don't know i started watching nascar at the beginning of like 2000 and my it I wasn't really watching it. My dad was. And I was like, you know, why are you watching this? This is like net car, you know, just people <laughs> driving in circles. I, did, I had no desire to watch it. But then, you know, we were kind of estranged for a few years. And so I decided to, you know, find something that he was interested in and then get myself forced myself to like it. Whether right, I like to it have that conversation, right? Yeah, because he yeah. didn't like football at the time. And I was like, oh, that was my thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like bite my tongue and watch these guys <laughs> go in circles and like <laughs> not insult <Okay>. him. <laughs> I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is one thing I did not know about you. Um, but me growing up a hillbilly redneck, of course, uh, from the Midwest, NASCAR was a big deal to us. Oh, and yeah. so I went to NASCAR races all the time nice. nice so how much did you hate it <laughs> um you know it didn't take long for me to find drivers get you know he was a jeff gordon fan since like 95 yeah. right and it took me a while but i became a jeff gordon fan 
but you know, I was like, you know, I drew up a Ford at the time. So I, I was like a Ford fan. He's like, uh, why do you like Ford? You know, and <laughs> <laughs> who cares about Roush racing, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, y- yeah. And I just eventually started to understand the, the sport and, I like learn all the techno the the terminology and mm-hmm. like you know I was always into cars in the first place so I was like you know what this is pretty cool he would put on the surround sound and he had all this you know giant screen oh, TV yeah. so it was like part of the experience and we'd have this like barbecue and he'd make all kinds of like sausage and you know all you know he would cook like ten different meats so it, was, it wasn't just <laughs> it was like an I'm experience. here for the meats and the NASCAR. <laughs> Yeah, and so so it was just a bonding thing for for me, and and you know, and, and I I just learned to love it. And then when the opportunity arose, I think it was around two thousand six. Uh, that's when I started writing for NASCAR, and or NASCAR articles. And then um, I that's you know I just I wanted my dad to be proud of me. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it was like, oh, look at all these articles I'm writing. And so, you know, they have my name on it. You know, it was like really cool. And then um, but, you know, that lasted for about two years. And then I got into radio and we actually we had a, a radio show called The Pit Pass. And so, you know, every every Sunday we would mm-hmm. go to the studio at the school because it was a college radio program. And, uh, you know, we would just call the race as if it was live and did turn by turn. And like, you know, you know, and, I mean, Jimmy Johnson coming around the, the, the around the corner on turn four and, <laughs> you know, just just stuff like that. And, and it was a lot of fun. And so uh, what made you experience. start writing about NASCAR? Um, you know, I since I was a kid, I, I wanted to write. But uh, I didn't feel like I had the ability to write. But NASCAR was like an easy thing to put on paper or like write up because I, I would just because I was always reading articles mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is so basic. I, anybody can do this, you know. And so I, <laughs> I just started emulating my favorite writers and then just putting stuff in my own words and it just seemed really simple, you know. So it was a lot more detailed than there were 72 cars in the field. They went around in circles. <laughs> right, right. You know, you, you just find like little things and, you know, you really had to know the sport to be able to write about it. Right. You know, you couldn't just be a, you couldn't, I, I if I was to write about, you know, uh, soccer, I would have no clue who these who these people were or 100%. you know these these countries. I mean, I, I I'm watching a, a soccer match and I'm like I'm I spend 20 minutes trying to figure out who's playing because <laughs> 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 because the initials and the sponsors overlap everything and I'm like right. hey, who, who, what country is this? I have no clue because the the it's just a big advertising thing. I mean, but that's how NASCAR was too. I mean, it's just there was a number. And you just kind of knew who the drivers were mm-hmm. <laughs> based on that number. <laughs> so did did you go to any races with your dad? Uh, I went to one race with him. And that that was uh, I, I can't remember what year, but that was up in Sonoma in in California mm-hmm. uh, for like his birthday or Father's Day. I bought tickets to go see a race, and then I bought tickets to go to the California race down in uh, Southern California, but. Um, that never worked out, but I went there quite a bit 
just because I was on a radio show and we got to interview like, you know, all the drivers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. uh, I froze up when I got to meet Jeff Gordon. I was like, you know, had his uh, mic, uh, my, the microphone <laughs> right in his face. And I just like, uh, back to you, Jack. <laughs> I'd be like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was starstruck and I didn't realize I got starstruck until I met, met like my, you know. Right. That know, would be I, I, that would be an amazing experience to meet like, um, you know, people that you follow like that, especially people that you write about or, you know, that you enjoy. And, and for me, it would be more um, NASCAR or like ufc fighters that mm -hmm. would be my thing that i don't care about like basketball celebrities and and stuff like that i don't care but yeah that would be it yeah. did you did you guys did you ever go to the pit uh or yeah we did go to the pits um you know i had a chance to meet who who did who did i meet um oh god all the names escape me now because it's been so mm -hmm. i don't even watch the races at all right i don't watch it anymore either um and my dad quit before I did, and that was like probably around 2014. He just got tired of the, the, just you know the conspiracy behind it all. Like you know, you could tell by who was going to win the championships by how right. much money was going into the sport, like Lowe's Motor Speedway. I mean, mm -hmm. like like Lowe's, and then Home Depot. I mean, obviously right. they were going to you know dominate all the way towards the end because they put in the most money. Right, a hundred percent. And I thought I don't think a lot of people understand that there is a giant conspiracy behind uh, NASCAR in that yeah. aspect. And and it's funny to me that you said that because we always thought the same thing. We're like, oh, okay. So uh, you know, like Roush had you know taken on big sponsors that year, and so you knew it was going to be one of their drivers from their team. That yeah. Uh, was always going to win and oh look they're they're way ahead of the rest of the pack and i'm not too sure that they don't screw with people's cars too oh yeah absolutely i mean it's just like you know what was it the deflate gate in football or whatever where they were deflating the balls and stuff i think they uh do their own version of deflate gate <laughs> yeah like even the the Coke 600, uh, mm -hmm. Jeff Gordon like dominated the entire race and led like the the most laps in history because mm -hmm. they had so many modifications on that car, right? And they weren't really regulated at that time, and it was because of that race that they started regulating like all these like mm -hmm. you know everybody had this had, have the same engine, every everyone had the same had to have the same restrictor plates and all this stuff, right? And so it. it took away from any kind of like individual modifications because mm -hmm. everybody had to be everyone Identical. had the same part it's yeah. like a school uniform <laughs> right and so so how did you move from nascar writing into the journalism thing and you know the radio program and all of that stuff um you know when when i was in our, our the journalism program there was a link on our website that just said podcast and only one person was doing a podcast and it was horrible i was like you know if she can do it i can do it <laughs> you're <laughs> so, like you suck 
<laughs> I was like, you know what? I, I can suck with you. You know, you don't have to be alone. She's like, yeah, do it. We need more people doing podcasts. And then I asked our editor and she's like, yeah, of course, you know, just do your own research, make sure you don't get in trouble. And, and I, I spent a few months doing research and took a podcasting class and, and learn how to like do my own thing and, and learn all the technology. I mean, I created my radio station in 2012 and I cannot tell you how to do it yourself because I did it so long ago. And I'm like, if I ever turn this off, I'm not going to know how to turn it back on. That's so funny <laughs> that you said that because I have, um, I like to call it senior poop. And so, um, I cannot remember what I did yesterday, let alone 12 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I look at old articles that I wrote from like, you know, 12 years ago. I'm like, I can't believe I wrote that. It's so intelligent. You know, <laughs> <laughs> look at how smart I am. <laughs> I feel like I go through these like out of body experiences every time I write something, whether it's like a research paper or you know, even like, like this book that I'm writing and I'm uh, right, currently writing and it's been almost a year since I started writing it. And I'm like, whoa, I can't believe I wrote that. And it was only a year ago, you know. So it's, what's your book about? You know, <laughs> it's really like my journey to like waking up and it, it has like everything that that I've learned over the last, you know, like three years. I can't believe it's been three years since I woke up. But, uh, you know, since the start of COVID and everything, and so, like, uh, just the, the, the globe deception, just the education deception, all the deceptions that have been going on since the mid-1800s. Right. And it's kind of like a compilation of everything mm -hmm. that has happened and how we got to this point in time. That's and a how... lot of, that's a lot of uh, stuff, though, a, a lot yeah. of... Uh waking up i can't imagine me writing a book like that um with all of the things that i have learned even if i concentrated just just like on the medical industry mm -hmm. it would be uh remember back in the day they had like the encyclopedia britannica's sets you know oh, that, yeah, that books. would be me <laughs> janet's medical <laughs> wake up journey volumes <laughs> one through 85 <laughs> On sale for $29.95. <laughs> it only take you a lifetime to get through all these books, but you can have it right now. <laughs> for a bargain price. So how far along are you in your book? I am still stuck on page 70. And I, I haven't even gotten past, like, the, you know, really the preface. <laughs> I wrote the, um, today I learned about dot, 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 <laughs> I'm done. I, ha I have really bad ADHD and, and it, you know, I'm like the dog that sees a squirrel. I'm like, oh, squirrel. <laughs> and, and so my attention just goes in that direction. Then I'll spend hours and hours on that, on that topic. And I, it's hard for me to go back to how my mind my state of mind was when I was right. writing. And so I'll open up the, the PDF or not the PDF, but the word document. And I'm like, all right, on to the next chapter. 
how do I close this off and move on to the next thing? And I'll so, leave that for later. <laughs> yeah. So I may have to take a class and and how to actually write a book. I mean, I've taken <laughs> classes like that before. It's I just have a hard time. <laughs> I have too much going on in my brain. You're like me, though. I have those, you know, where I've been writing a cookbook for a while now, and it's original thing because I don't own a cookbook, but it's one of those things, and it's hard for people to understand. They're like, oh, my God, you've been working on that so long. Yes, but, like, I, I write stuff down when things come to me, but yeah. then I have to make it first and make sure that I like it. And that I yeah. would make it again and it tastes right. Or if I have to change something and then sometimes I completely forget to write shit down. And I'm like, <laughs> cause I, my mind's going like a hundred miles an hour in every direction. I'm like, Oh my God, I got to make soap. I forgot to do this. I need to do laundry. And then I'm like, what was I thinking about? Yeah. 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 I I mean, help real it. life just gets in the way. It's like, Oh, I got to make dinner. I got to think about what to make tonight. Right. Cause I do all the cooking here and or most of it. And so I just, I just get distracted really easy. Right. Same. Like listening to you talk about, about recipes. Like I learned how to make bread over uh, Christmas break and, you know, like real hearty, like protein mm -hmm. yep. fortified, like natural mm -hmm. bread, which nobody knows how to make it because it takes a whole day. A hundred percent. That's what um, like, Sometimes my husband's like, you know what sounds really good? That that bread that you made. And I'm like, um, it's four o'clock right now. I don't have time to make that because it won't be done until tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to have the starter, you have to feed it. Yeah, you know, it's and everything's very time consuming. Everything's calculated. You have to get a like a, a weight, um, a scale mm -hmm. to weigh everything because everything is weighted is you right. you can't visually put stuff in a, in a, you know, measuring cup, you have mm -hmm. to weigh it. Yeah. So all that stuff takes time. And so, you know, I mean, I, I can see why, you know, people, not a lot of people do it. Yeah. And <laughs> the bread that you buy in the store has like no nutritional value at all. Exactly. And yep. it's just carbs. And yep. the kind of bread that I made is actually full of protein and there's like hardly any carbs at all. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's delicious. I mean, you could, cause I always wondered, you know, when you see like movies from like the, you know, the, the dark ages or whatever, and you're like, you see a piece of meat and you see a potato and then you got a big loaf of bread. And I'm like, how are you surviving on that? Mm -hmm. But when you break it down and you realize how much like nutrients are in that bread and you make it from scratch, it's right. got a lot of like, you know, value in it. Absolutely. And that's why I love doing stuff like that. And so when I get in the mood and I do things like that, like I'll make several and I'll freeze some or um, like I make, you know, biscuits or something that I can individually freeze, you know, to get them right. And then I freeze them in a big bag so that I always have those. But yeah, woo, sometimes I'm just like, looking at this stuff and I'm like, do I really want to do that today? Or I just want to go run around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I've always been into nutrition since my, my mom used to force all these vitamins down my throat mm -hmm. at the age of six. And so I, as an adult, I, I 
I always have a vitamin and minerals like mm-hmm. regiment that I follow. And yep. now that I'm older and getting, you know, my body's falling apart, <laughs> like I have to stay on this regiment, you know. Now I can't ever <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Or my legs will break. <laughs> Even in my 20s when I was working out every day, like, you know, we were so hardcore into like, you know, protein supplements and drinks and mm-hmm. having the energy to want to work out. Right. So we were, I was constantly taking stuff. And, you know, that's it's just been a part of my life is supplementing. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, I grew up in the time where my parents were always like, poking vitamins down our throat and stuff when we were little. And then I went through a phase and I'm like, screw that. I'm not ever going to take another vitamin again and I'm not going to do it. And now I literally have like a line across my counter and I'm like, oh my God. Like it reminds me of my parents' house where there's Mm -hmm. no space on the kitchen counter because it's just bottles of shit. Yeah. I'm like, it looks like a really old person lives here. (laughs) Oh, God, I have a whole cabinet that is just the whole entire shelf where it's just supplements where it's like coming out where I can't close the door completely. And I have a second cabinet. (laughs) You sound like me. So So do you do you do most of your nutrition focus just in supplements or do you do other things as well? Because I like to, I like to do a lot of um, combination of stuff. Because I I can't stand taking like you know seventy five pills a day. That's not me. I can't do that. And so a lot of times I focus on like herbs and spices and stuff like that, or specific foods or uh, essential oils, things like that. I like I can't oh, I can't me. just take a handful of pills twice we- a day. We do the essential oils too. too. We mm-hmm. have a, we have one in our like our master bedroom and the one in the living room, like mm-hmm. diffuser. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't like the the Gallade ones. I mean, that's just right. poison. Right. Um, exactly. And yeah, we do teas. We we grow um, thyme, rosemary, mint. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to start growing echinacea when the weather gets better. Better. I want to you know, practice right. with that. Um, right. So I do have a garden. We, we grow a bunch of herbs and, and like, you know, stuff that we eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had this freeze back in, in December. It just wiped everything out. <laughs> it was but, like, no, you're not going to do that this year. <laughs> I mean, thankfully the, the lavender, the, the mint, the uh, thyme and um, what was rosemary they they all survived that's good though yeah so i'm I'm like excited for that and then because those um, are those are so medicinal like i i started getting into like crafting my own teas and so mm -hmm. i have like i don't know how many different kinds of teas and then i put like uh lavender or hibiscus flowers or you know whatever and i make like different ones for for different things Mm mm-hmm and so, yeah, I, I yeah. like doing things like that where I can make like a, I make one that's called a pain tea um, and it has very specific things in it. So like if you feel yourself getting sick or you've got like a bad headache or something, you can 
drink a cup of that and it's gone, whatever it is. It's wiped wow. out. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Ever since COVID, I, I've taken my nutrition knowledge to a whole different level and, mm -hmm. you know, through different podcasts and like listening to Crow Triple Seven, like, um, like he has like Clive DeCarl on his, on his show quite a bit. And they, he talks about all kinds of different stuff that, that helps people get through like, mm -hmm. you know, just, just the common cold or pain or whatever. Right. And then, you know, doctor artists, like I've, you know, when COVID was like in the middle of happening, like, um, you know, I was taking selenium and magnesium and vitamin C and zinc. Uh, mm -hmm. Those were like the four main things that I was like, you know, everybody needs to take this just in right. case you get COVID. That way you can live through it, you know. Right. <laughs> and you know what I wish they would do? Um, like put everything you need in like one one capsule instead of like you have to buy all these separate things you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying and then and then sometimes like i've run across where they do combine everything but it's like two hundred dollars for 30 pills and i'm like oh it's ridiculous yeah no mm -mm. Yeah. no that's why like um i even started buying like the gelatin capsules where i can make my own so like mm, if I yeah. don't want to cook with like a bunch of herbs or whatever, I can put them in a capsule form and take them that way. Yeah. We've tried so much stuff like this, this company who makes these like chewable, they're called gems. And honestly, it never prevented anything. It's, mm -hmm. it's supposed to like reduce inflammation and, and prevent sickness. And my wife got sick anyway, you know, she got right. really bad sinus infection and probably bronchitis. I mean, she wasn't, didn't do any tests so they really didn't know that's and, good um, she doesn't need to get her brain poked yeah and so <laughs> i was like looking into anything we started taking quercetin and that mm -hmm. seemed to help and so anything that has any kind of like um you know you know helping the uh cardiovascular or the respiratory like mm -hmm. you know we we got I'm like really a hundred percent into like protolytic enzymes, like, because they, they heal your body. Right. And, and so like, cause I, I do MMA trainings, so I'm like very active and I, because I'm not young at all. <laughs> and so I feel like I'm just beat up every night. <laughs> yes. I feel that way sometimes if I just go to get off the couch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. like, what did I do today? That's that was rough. Did you hear my knees next door neighbors? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, during the during the break, I mean, I didn't train at all. I didn't do anything physical and and so um I I was taking like the Sarah Sarah Peptas and bromelain just to because it, I, I remember cleaning the house and i was so sore just mm -hmm. from cleaning the house i'm yep. like dude i am so out of shape <laughs> <laughs> well see um i don't lift weights um mm -hmm. but i do lift the vacuum on top of the furniture to clean it a lot so that is my weight lifting yes <laughs> you can lift weights at home thing. yeah there's there's different things that you could do to work those muscle groups at home without going to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. I got dogs, so I have to lift up the, the vacuum cleaner and then mm -hmm. actually vacuum. That's what the we top. do too. 
<laughs> yep. I burn, I vacuum all of the furniture. And so I dread those days when that comes. Cause I'm like, we have one of those like industrial vacuum cleaners and I'm like, Oh, Oh, I'll lug it up there. And then I'm like, why is my back? So, so, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fun stuff. <laughs> so let me ask you, um, what made you start your radio program? Um, how it is today or how it was in the beginning when it both. was just music? Yeah, both. I'm really interested in the music stuff. I want to ask you um, about your musical preferences and musical uh, taste and see if they match with mine because uh, you and I have a lot of things in common. So curious you know, about that. <clears throat> Since the... I don't, I don't know, like mid two thousands. I was always, I mean, I've always been into like what isn't played on the radio. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I heard a band I'd never heard before and like top 40, I was like, that's what I like. Mm -hmm. And cause I've always been supporting of like <clears throat> people in the underground and like right. the independent music community. <clears throat> I even had an award show that, you know, I would have, specifically on grammy weekend just to have that that cachet of like oh we're having it on the same weekend of the grammys so come here friday night mm -hmm. and you know watch all these like amazing artists i was gonna say nothing. much better stuff <laughs> yeah and and so you know i would always promote artists from like different cat different genres because i i've never liked just one genre Mm -hmm. I've always just jumped around from country to hip hop to, right. to rock and, and, you know, grunge and all, all kinds of different music. And so whoever was like the little guy I would support mm -hmm. as long as they sounded good. I've always been picky about what music I supported. Right. Um, and so I would just interview bands and they would come to the studio and it, and it really started with just people who were at the college who had a band who were, who sound decent. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then I got through all the bands. I'm like, all right, I have no one to interview. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started working with like, like PR companies and they would send me their artists. And then I would pick the ones that were good and then interview those people. And, you know, I, I got to meet some cool bands that are like kind of mainstream, but not too much. You know, they would eventually get famous and then I would never talk to them again. <laughs> Because once they got famous, I didn't care about them anymore. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Now, <clears throat> so did you have um, like musical people in your family? Were you like, did you play like, I don't know, the flute or something in school? Or what got you into your interest in music? Uh, I think my dad really got me into music and he, he, you know, every weekend he would just turn on the radio and just play into like an album or, you know, just play music. You know, we'd listen to Elvis and, and, uh, I mean, I, I, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and so it really had an influence on me because we would drive from Los Angeles to Northern California. And so that was like a five and a half hour trip. Mm -hmm. So we would just listen to music. So I, I think that just kind of molded my way of thinking and, and loving music. And, you know, I would spend 
afternoons in my bedroom and just listen to the radio and pretend I was a radio DJ and just announcing the next song or, you know, just, just like little stuff like that. But I never thought I would actually do it, you know, because it wasn't, you know, it just didn't seem realistic until I was in college. I was like, you know, this is an opportunity for me to actually do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it, it became, (laughs) getting into radio and working radio like it was totally different like the industries were completely changing and that like people didn't make a lot of money being a journalist and Mm -hmm. they didn't make a lot of money being a radio broadcaster like i knew people who interned for six years before they got hired right you know so they were making ten dollars an hour and, and then when they finally got hired they were like Oh, I'm making 30 grand a year. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, do you still live in California? That would be terrible. <laughs> right. And that so, might make you a tent in the backyard somewhere. <laughs> so right at that moment that I started getting into school, the, the days of making $110,000 a year was quickly depleting. Right. And that was around the same time that the the journalism took a big dive. And so all the the major uh, journalism corporations were being bought out by the the big corporations, the investors. And so Mm -hmm. it it went from like 300 entities to about, you know, 30 at the Mm -hmm. time. And And, they were all. And now it's what? like four or five. Yeah. Five people own every media corporation that's Mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. And if you're not a part of that, you're not making any money at all. Right. And And if you are part of that, then you have to sell yourself to the devil and, uh, lie for a living basically. Yeah. And like companies that, that did like 24 hour music and they played more independent stuff. They made even less money. So mm-hmm. if you work for like Jack FM and you really, there was like two people that ran the entire radio station. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't employ anybody because there was no money to be made because it was just, they would play, pay like, I don't know how much money. It was like 130000 a year in, in licensing fees. Mm-hmm. And so they couldn't afford to pay any, any staff. Right. And so you just had this playlist that you would just feed, that would feed the, the major labels. Mm-hmm. And that was it. You know, so you barely had 60 grand to give to the employees that work there. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, like the other day, um, like I, I listened to uh, like I create my own stations on iHeartRadio all the time where I can put all my favorites in it mm-hmm. and stuff. And the other day they were like, oh, you, create create your own radio station um, and anybody can be a broadcaster. And I was like. Hmm. and and how do you do that like do you buy like a catalog of music i'm curious about that actually we would pay for airtime so depending on how many people were listening determines how much in licensing um Mm -hmm. like revenue that we have to pay to like ascap and bmi Mm-hmm. And right now, the way that my radio station is is pays, it's actually through the the internet providers that play my station. I right. don't pay a dime. I just pay for the service to keep the station on the air. Mm-hmm. So the that's how I was able to to because um, 
back around 2016, 2017, like all the the major like internet radio stations were being attacked. Mm-hmm. I got attacked too. Right. And so I kind of defunded my platform and just went totally outsourced. Mm-hmm. So all these third parties are actually paying for what I play. Right. Because I don't make I don't make any money doing what I do. I right. make barely enough to cover the cost of running the station. And then I just kind of write it off in my taxes. Mm-hmm. So it's right. all personal, personal income. Yeah. And I wondered about that because um, we had a good friend that lives here locally that went to work for a local radio station and they would pay um, like it was a talk radio station. And so they would pay to have like, you know, Owen Benjamin or, or like whoever and put them at a certain time slot every day on their station. And they were, they were paying out so much money for everything. And then they also had like where they would have to, you know, hook up with these sites for like strange news stories and whatever. And so Mm -hmm. like the amount of money that was going out, wasn't matching what was coming in like at all. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. I can't I can't imagine like doing that unless you're like some, you know, like you got the hookup, you know what I'm saying? Like me, me starting something like that, I, it would not it would not do well. Yeah. I I can imagine starting from scratch and then like my radio station's broadcasted on like 19 different platforms. Mm-hmm. That's good though. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's not a lot of listeners, but it's more than than what it was when I first launched it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I went I went through a lot just to play music that nobody knows, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I would I would so much rather hear. Um, like we used to be huge in the music scene here locally, and we would always go out and check out you know any bands that were playing and all of that stuff. Of course, we met like a bunch of you know, touring bands and, and, you know, whatever that are, that are decently big. I mean, they're not mainstream by any means, but we would much rather hear like original music than hear cover stuff or the same thing that everybody's doing. I'm like, don't you have any like originals? And they're like, yeah, but the crowds don't want to hear original music. And I'm like, why? (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there's an audience for that because people are tired of the same stuff yeah. all the time. I mean, yeah. I can't stand hearing what's currently out now because I know same. There, there's definitely a frequency that it's emitted and mm-hmm. you can feel the difference between right. someone who's who makes something out of their home mm-hmm. versus a major label produced right. record where, you know, that's garbage anyway. Yeah, that mm-hmm. 440 megahertz is definitely apparent in how mm-hmm. it makes you feel. Right. Because when I listen to the to the radio or I listen to a mainstream record, like I feel agitated. Same. Yeah. And sometimes like <clears throat> it's hard to explain, but almost like um like jittery inside or my like my stomach's like bleh. Yeah. You know, and I, it just makes me feel nasty. That's why um, most of the time we don't listen to anything that's mainstream, like ever. 
So, yeah. <clears throat> so when, when I learned about the, the 432 hertz and like the difference mm -hmm. between the 440 hertz, I mean, you can tell the, the complete difference in oh, right. the, the, the frequency and how it mm -hmm. makes you feel where you feel relaxed versus irritated and like mm -hmm. mad. Like it didn't, it's not just that I hate the musicians that play like the music today. It's just, it, it really makes me feel irritated. Right. Same. Yeah. And I, I just don't think the quality is there and, no. you know, uh, lyrically or musically either you know and a lot of it sounds like uh auto-tune type stuff mm -hmm. and i'm not into that kind of thing i can say i'm not a i'm not a techno type fan <laughs> yeah i you know ever since you know i i almost know exactly when i stopped listening to country music and that was when the the dixie chicks came out publicly and criticized george bush mm -hmm. and that was like the end of like the, the country music for me. Yeah. And it, it wasn't just because of what they said. It was just like the music changed completely. Right. And I used to love country music before that. Like I loved everything that came out of, of country music. Like I was you know, kind of a crazy person. <laughs> I did not because though um, we grew up on that, and that was the only thing that was ever played in my household growing up. And so there was one station on the radio, and of course we had the turn dial radio because I'm old. Um, and so we would always have to listen to that, and so it was constantly country music. And I'm, it's the I grew up in the area where it was a real the twangy country. Uh -huh. You know, the real old country twang and everybody's dog died and everybody had a broke down, beat up pickup truck and all that stuff um, <laughs> and was cheating on their spouse and all that. Um, and so, like, if my parents would leave, we would run and change the dial to try to find something else. But then we'd have to run and change it back before they ever got in the door so that oh, we man. wouldn't get in trouble for that's funny not listening to country. So, yeah, I, I mean, have a for country music now <laughs> i mean don't get me wrong may i had my moments right like you know i loved motley Crue and i loved rat and oh yeah you know the, i grew up on those so yeah i like that i loved heavy metal for a long time <laughs> same yeah that's i was just having that discussion uh, just a little while ago that um my husband and i are definitely metal heads uh and 80s hair bands you know, nice. rock bands. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's like our thing, but I'm not into, I'm like, he'll listen to rap and I'm like, can't do it. I'm like, yeah. I don't know what it is about it, but it always makes me feel nasty. So mm -hmm. yeah, I can't, I can't do rap. Yeah. Rap. K-pop. I... Oh, K-pop is terrible. <laughs> yeah. And in, in rap, I mean, I, was in and out of it for a while, but I can't do it for a long periods of time. And yeah. today's rap is just not listenable at all. No, I, I can't stand that like that tisk in the background that just goes on constantly. I just feel like it's mind control. A hundred percent. I have, I have the same kind of feelings about that. And it's, it's almost like every single artist in that genre is that way. And I'm like, nope, can't do it. Cause it just, 
I don't know. It makes my brain feel like mush. Yeah. So I'm not like, into that. I listen to KXT's like 91.7 here in Dallas. And it's because they play, you know, twice a week, they play local artists. So mm-hmm. I get to hear who's coming into the industry and, and then who could, I could possibly add to my radio station. But otherwise, I don't listen to music. I mean, I, I barely have time to keep up with all the podcasts that I listen to. I, I cannot keep up with all the podcasts because, like, everybody I know does a podcast. <laughs> Especially today. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, you know, 150 different podcasts and some people put out shows like five Every or six day. days a week. And I'm like, <laughs> I cannot. There's not enough hours in the day. If yeah. I can't. If I can't sit down long enough to write a recipe, I surely cannot spend, you know, 16 hours a day listening to podcasts. Yeah, I don't, somehow I'm able to keep up with most of the podcasts that I that I like put a list on my website. I mean, I have a whole section on, on KGP 106.5 where I list all the recommended podcasts. Yours is included, of course. Oh, yay. Yay me. <laughs> You're so sweet for including me in that. And I listen to almost all of them. Um, there, you know, there's like one or two that just produce way too many for me to keep up on. Yep. And and I don't want to say names. <laughs> right. <laughs> and some days they'll just launch like five in one day. And I'm like, there's no human way I can listen to your podcast only. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because there are some where every you know, like they'll do every day and it's like three, four hours a day. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I can't. Two and a half is my limit. (laughs) Yeah. I I always have so many things to do that are going on though. Um, and I just, I I don't have the time to dedicate to that. So sorry for all of you that have podcasts that are listening. I love you, but, uh, I have to random shuffle who I'm going to listen to and what day. <laughs> but I always got a podcast running. You know, like, even though I'm like, like a teacher, like I, up until class starts, like I'm listening to a podcast and then, you know, I have a period where I don't do anything class related. So I'm listening mm-hmm. to a podcast and lunch, I'm listening to something and on the way home. And then when I'm cleaning and cooking and, you know, like I'll, I'll fit Two or three in there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So let me ask you about the teaching. Um, Did you get into teaching because other people in your family were teachers? Or you're just like, I think I'm smart enough. I'm going to teach. Nobody in my family are teachers. (laughs) I have had more people in in law enforcement and in military than I have in teaching. teaching was kind of like something that I had wanted to do because we were starting a nonprofit organization. We wanted to have like a magnet school where Mm -hmm. everything was focused around, you know, arts and entertainment. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to start our own school and, you know, that's where education came in. And I was kind of like an experiment because I had no experience in teaching. So I ended up working at a school just to get a little bit of insight. And then we would, we were going to hire a bunch of teachers and get grant money to, to be able to open up our own school. 
And uh, that fizzled away because my business partner was embezzling money and, and oh. you know, misappropriating funds for oh, her own snap. personal, her own personal gain. And yeah. Yipes. That's not a good thing. Shame so, on you. Person. I, I, I stepped down as uh, the vice president and never looked back. I mean, thankfully I never had to appear in court or anything like that because my hands were never involved in, in the money. I was just a great seller. <laughs> right. You were, yeah. you were the, the smarts behind the business since. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because I had my foot in the door and teaching, I ended up just staying in it, you know, and now, now it's what, six years later, I'm still doing it. <laughs> so how do you feel being a teacher? Like, have you seen things change or progress in a different direction? Well, I, it's really different because I came from California and their teaching style or, or however you want to call it, um, it was completely different because I was working in special education right? and the schools there when especially, you know, it's someone in special needs, they go to a school that is mm -hmm. for special needs only. So the curriculums were very lenient. They weren't very geared for like the highest learning. Mm -hmm. um, I did work with the highest functioning students when I was in uh, middle school, mm -hmm. but high school was a little different. I mean, I, they were kind of higher functioning, but they still struggled with mm -hmm. like just basic like algebra and stuff. Right. And then coming to Texas in 2020, um, you know, the schools are integrated, so they have special needs children mm -hmm. in actual general education. So I right. try my, my duty is to keep them from falling too far behind mm -hmm. and helping them with their homework and then their understanding of what's on the curriculum and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've gotten to see how different it was since I've been in school versus like how it is in California mm -hmm. in like, like Texas has its own like stars program. So there's a, everything's based on testing and like you have to teach around it. So all the curriculum is based on teaching what's on the star test so they can graduate and then go into college. So it's very tight, you mm -hmm. know, very tight navigation. So there's not a lot of leeway. Right. And what I found out at the beginning of this year is that our funding almost majority of it comes from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation mm -hmm. and the Walton Family Foundation. I was like, oh, well, that all makes perfect sense. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, in the mid late 90s and 2000s, it was it was the Koch brothers that were that were determining the funding in mm -hmm. the education system, which would which really created the segregation in the United States. Right. And so the funding now is being it's fronted by these two entities. And it's kind of like, what's that word? Um, when you're uh, hiding money, la money laundering through the state. <laughs> hmm. I, could I see the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation laundering money? Hmm, yes. Yeah. Yes. Very likely. Hmm. But they're Since all working together. The world's... Uh, Top uh, virologist, epidemiologist, and scientist. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it all feeds the education system. It feeds mm -hmm. the, the government system. I mean, all of it works in concert with each other. So nothing happens in, in our reality without some hand in it. Right. So, yeah. Now, do you guys, um, is it a private school or a public school? Uh, it's a charter school. Okay. So it's kind of both public and private. Yeah. And that's a, like, I get those kind of questions all the time. Um, like, can they force, you know, vaccinations or can they force this or that in the curriculum in a school? And I'm like, well, it depends on where their funding comes from. And if it is truly a privately owned place or they take any kind of government subsidy. Yeah. So those are things that even, you know, people that are like, oh, well, that'll never happen because we're in a we're in a private school. And I'm like, but what kind of private school? <laughs> because that does definitely make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, private schools are driven 100 percent by incoming money. So whoever is mm -hmm. going to give them money, they're going to do. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, it's just like this one program where it had nothing to do with education at all. It was just monitoring people's state of mind right and so every morning we were forced to all right sign into this this platform and give it your mood tell tell it what you feel and so you would tell if you're frustrated or angry or sad or happy and then at the end of it it would have it would show a video of like how to come out of that mood and be like everyone else be happy and be satisfied and, and, and i'm like all right so why are we getting like $7 million for this program? And mm -hmm. like, what benefit does it give to the person that's giving us that program? It makes no logical sense at all, other than just monitoring what these kids are going through on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So because if they can, if they can monitor kids and, and their emotional state and their uh, emotional well being, it's easier for them to figure out, the best means of control over a population. Right. So they know exactly what their curriculum is doing to these kids because they're monitoring them on a constant basis. Right. They don't need to have live cameras in the classrooms itself. They mm -hmm. can just, they, they, you know, that the, every laptop now, I mean, everybody has a laptop now. Right. Before 2020, that was not a thing. Not a thing. Right. And now we can, monitor their moves we can monitor what they're looking at what their scroll what their what their search engines tell us throughout the day mm -hmm. we don't have to monitor their phones it's all in the the laptop and so it it's it's an invasion of like privacy it's very creepy yeah 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 no i don't like that at all that's that's uh over creeping on my uh personal life thank you very much so and, tell and me Oh, go ahead. I didn't mean to. Oh, I was going to say about, about the IB curriculum, if you know anything about that. I mean, that's the International Baccalaureate. Mm -hmm. And before 2019, I never even heard of it. And now schools all over the world are taking on this program. And now, like my schools, like almost 100%, everything is based on the IB curriculum. And that, it, and so I was, just one day I was like, all right, well, who, who started this program? Where did it originate? So I looked it up and it freaking started in Geneva, Switzerland, where the, the World Economic Forum started, mm -hmm. where World 
the World Health Organization. So they are behind this this curriculum. So what is this curriculum? It it's really just a series of tests and and like it it involves a lot of uh, creative writing. It's like an argumentative writing, but you do a lot of research. And there's no like no limit to how much you can write or you know, it's as long as you state your 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 facts and do you do your research. So and what it's doing to these kids, it's because you know, everybody's going to universities these days. And so they, they claim that there's like all these rewards if you do well and you stress yourself out and you do well, even though you even though you're going through incredible stress and you're right. able to write like like you know the greatest philosophers or whatever, <laughs> like they you get extra funding and then you can reduce the amount of time that you're in school at the same time. So I wonder they're, if they're using that because they're gonna move away from like the modern schooling uh, program, you know, like how um, like in the UK, it's very different. Right. And so mm -hmm. uh, they call it university. And so like here we're in high school and there it's called university and it's like their, their degrees are different and their um, whole schooling is different. And here, you know, we have, elementary school and junior high and high school and you know whatever i wonder if this system is meant to replace that and get people in the workforce faster younger that's exactly what it is and it's all mind manipulation at an accelerated rate so less people are going into the university system mm -hmm. and then the the ones that fall out of the system that can't keep up, there are core workers. So they work in the factories and they work, mm -hmm. you know, distribution and mm -hmm. Amazon, that kind of crap and work at Walmart because the, Amazon and Walmart are going to take over the entire economy system anyway. Right. So they're able to determine who's going to be the, the front runners and be the mind developers because they want people who are completely indoctrinated to create these new programs and new systems and mm -hmm. diversity programs, you know, right. The young, which the WEF is, is and the uh, United Nations are very fond of those programs. Yeah, like the the young global leaders, you know, mm -hmm. they're they're the people who are going to take over the world and and do the bidding without really knowing that they're doing evil, right. <laughs> Well, and that's why I wondered if this this curriculum is a, is going to be like a worldwide replacement system and like everybody's education system is going to have to be geared toward this kind of like, you know, they're wanting to do the one world government and uh, one world religion and, and all of that stuff. So I'm wondering if the education system isn't this isn't going to replace that. Oh, absolutely. It's going to replace it. I mean, even even in one of our, our history classes, like one of the, the main things that they have to teach is like the whole United Nations. Um, I forgot what it's called, but where you pretend you're addressing an issue, a global issue that you want to help change and make better. And mm -hmm. it's, it, you know, and then I was in with one, uh, a set of my students, like I had 
seven students in one class. And so I had to like oversee that this, like your, this United Nations platform. And then I got to actually watch, you know, the United Nations that in actual work in play mm-hmm. and all these actors, these famous actors, you know, like Leonardo DiCaprio and, and mm-hmm. like other, other famous actors. I mean, they're the, the face of the United right. Nations. Mm-hmm. because they have the most influence and even though they're in front of a podium and they're making their presentations they're not really saying anything mm-hmm. they don't have any real direction they're just preaching Rating to a, a script yeah and they're they're preaching to a choir based on on these issues that don't really have any kind of resolutions like mm-hmm. oh let's improve education in females in these like mm-hmm. lower economic regions of the world and right you know it it all really leads down to lower population and mm-hmm. you know you you I, it's just changing the societies around the world mm-hmm. and they're doing it in such a slow progressive movement that no one really notices the right. the the overall difference unless you're like 50 years away from it mm-hmm. then by then it's too late <laughs> Yeah, and it, it to me it's it's interesting to think about since they want to go, you know, to like the one world government, one world religion, whatever. So think about like cultures around the world and how, you know, like in certain cultures, like the women are not allowed to speak. It's only the men that can speak. Um, they control the house. They can beat their wife. They can throw acid on her. You know, whatever what kind of government governance system are we going to have um, that's worldwide where like everything is accepted? Like you can throw gays off buildings or you can like stone women in the middle of the street or, or whatever. How are they going to put all of that together into one governance? I mean, it's, it's really through social programming and controlling the news and i mean they're doing that in in like argentina they're doing that in brazil and and they're trying to get everything where everyone thinks like americans where there's so much discourse and Mm -hmm. so many unhappy people that Mm -hmm. that they're going to demand all these changes without any government intervention the the government intervention is going to be like all right okay we're going to change the law because you told us to right when the mind control is really changing everybody's mindset to think a certain way so nobody's forcing anybody to do anything and and so these regime changes are happening while they're mind programming just Mm -hmm. regular citizens into thinking a certain way right and you know i mean it's been gradual over the last i don't know 100 years (laughs) i wonder how i mean if people are gonna like um, snap out of their transitive state and, you know, wake up to some of the things that are going on, you know, like there for a while. And, and this is not a racist statement by any means. This actually was a thing, but they were, you know, putting a bunch of Muslims into, you know, communities or whatever, um, like Michigan, for instance, um, Dearborn, Michigan, which, you know, used to be like white suburbia or whatever. And then it became like a a solid Muslim population because that's where they were sending all of them. 
Um, and so they have kind of like you'll see on the news, like in the UK or whatever, where they have uh, no go zones, basically, where uh, American laws don't apply, you know, mm -hmm. and they're what's it called? Sharia law. It, yeah. like trumps our constitution in these areas. So it's like our laws, our laws, even though it's on the United States land, don't apply in certain pockets or certain communities or whatever. <clears throat> so how, how do you think we're going to deal with those kind of things? I mean, that stuff's very concerning to me because uh, Sharia law is very, very different <laughs> than what our United States Constitution is. Constitution. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I, th I think that's like the like ideal way of like separating yourself from the the current government. It's kind of like how the the Amish have done. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think a lot of our views of like the Muslim people are kind of uh Skewed a lot of our things we learn in the news yeah a lot of it they just want to be left alone mm -hmm. like nothing would happen if we just we never intervened with their countries right you know because a lot of the the, the muslim countries are very peaceful but because we force our free trade on them <laughs> mm -hmm. and our way american way of thinking it, it right. causes them to to react the way right. that they do right well yeah. and that makes things volatile but i'm i'm just curious like futuristically down the road you know they want us to have all these you know like utopian societies and everybody gets along one world religion one world government and I'm like, how do you remove religious beliefs from large swaths of population? Or, well, you know how resistant people are to change anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Or or learning new knowledge or, or whatever. When you've always grown up to believe a certain thing, it's hard to like hear something that's outside of that. So how how do they enact? all of this crap in the future um, when people still have free will to make up their own mind of stuff. I, I think they, the elites, they always want to have discourse. They want people to disagree with each other because that's how they maintain control mm -hmm. is by having us disagree with just mm -hmm. like certain issues, you know? I mean, yeah, and that's why it'd be real interesting in the future if, you know, like the um, transhumanist agenda and whatnot, there are uh, writers out there that are like, everyone is going to um, basically be mind controlled and, and we will tell them what to say, feel, and think. Mm -hmm. um, but how is that going to work in a society if people still have the capability of free will, do you think that's the point behind uh, the pokety pokes and, and all of that stuff? I mean, the, the jabby jabs, I mean, they mm -hmm. are another way of controlling how we think and feel. I mean, we've 
already proven that we're easily manipulated because mm -hmm. I mean, how many people, how many millions of people actually went out and got the, mm -hmm. the, those injections voluntarily. I mean, right. They didn't have to coerce that much. They just instilled this fear of this imaginary thing that was infecting everybody. So if they said uh, tomorrow, like everybody has to go out and get chipped, um, of course, well, I think there's going to be like a large percentage of population that are like, oh, my God, the government said it's for my health and safety and the health and safety of my family and my grandma. So I should go do it. There are people who will just run out and do it just because the authorities said so. But they won't even question it. There's still a lot of people that I think so more so now, even people that, you know, went out and got vaccinated and now they're like, you know, holy fuck, look at all the stuff that's coming out about this. And, you know, we were lied to and never again, I'm not going to trust the government and blah, blah, blah. So I think more people are uh, awake to stuff now. So, you know, even if they like wanted to chip everybody to control you from some remote location in Antarctica or wherever their uh, control center will be. I, there's still yeah. going to people that have free will that are like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I mean, there, you should be able to decide whatever you want. You know, I was having a conversation <laughs> with my best friend and he, uh, he's like, yeah, I got all, I got, I'm fully boosted and got all the shots. And I'm like, Oh my God. And he's like, oh. you know, I told him <laughs> that, that I have done a lot of research and whatever came out in the, over the past, you know, two and a half, three years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I verified everything. I researched everything mm -hmm. that I was told. And, right. you know, one of my favorite sites was the uh, uh, National Institute of Health. Right. So whenever, whenever there was any kind of like medication or ingredient, I would, I would look it up mm -hmm. and see what kind of research was done. And, and I would find all kinds of stuff. Right. And, and then when I told him that, and he he was just like, well, you know, I, I think of it as this. I mean, you you can believe whatever you want to believe, right? And so it becomes a fictitious thing. It's like it becomes a belief system. Yeah, and that's the thing about um, my husband and I have this conversation all the time about, you know, you can find anything you want on the internet to back up your point. Um, you can find things for you can find things against. And I think they purposely do that. Yeah. So that people are like, Oh, but uh, my beliefs are going to stay the same because look at all these things that back it up. Right. And then they're like, don't want to hear anything that's like the against side. And I think they purposely do that so that they can keep that mm -hmm. uh, poison and division going. Oh, absolutely. You know, so. it's just like, like trying to prove that the earth is flat or, or if it's a globe. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody comes back. Well, Oh, you show us the evidence. I'm like, I just gave you a bunch of points that you can just search and you will find it. Right. And that we've never left or the lower people earth are so inherently lazy though. Even if you provide somebody with, you know, pages of links or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, documentation of, you know, government programs or whatever. They're so lazy, they can't even click on the link that you sent them. Yeah. 
There's okay. a reason why they teach us all everything about space at third grade. Mm-hmm. And then they stop as soon as you get into high school. Right. It, it, it's, and when, once you reach high school, it's just images of a globe. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's nothing to support that what this reality is. Right. It's, it's just based on this belief that you learned as a child. Mm-hmm. And so the only, the only concrete evidence that you have is if you go to college and you be, get a, a degree in astrology or you want to become an astro, astro engineer, then they feed you all this math. And, and, and then, you know, because I used to be one of those kids that went to like science camp and that went to the, the science centers and mm-hmm. went to the observatories. And I was right. fascinated by all of it. I love space. I, I wrote a book when I was uh, in, in eighth grade about being a freaking superhero in space, you know, mm. leading this armada. <laughs> like, <laughs> we might need that. We might so, need the information from that book in the future. My head was in the freaking clouds, you know, and I I just, you know, it it was one of the hardest things for me to learn that it's all a lie. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my logo was based on an astronaut, you know, I mean, you can see it like right here. Mm -hmm. He was an astronaut, (laughs) (laughs) but it's all fictitious, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing though, is, you know, a lot of people always say, but what's like, what does it matter if it's round or flat? Like, so what, what's, what's about the big lie? The big lie to me is that everything they do has a purpose to remove you from the creator. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, uh, well, if you buy this globe theory, you know, that, that this all happened because of, space dust basically you know an explosion and everything went into particles and it made people and a planet and you know trees out of dirt and rocks out of dirt and you know your lungs out of dirt and everything yeah spirituality has been one of the other journeys that i've been like learning and relearning Mm -hmm. the bible right i've been reading the quran and kind of deciphering what the difference is. And there's not a lot of difference. I mean, the right. Quran mentions Christianity and Judaism. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're a good person and you believe in God, you can right. receive the, the, the glory of the, the next life. Right. But if you completely ignore God that it exists and you, you don't love him, like your, your, your life is over. Or you, right. you have this internal damnation where you repeat this life until you figure it out. Right. And the funny thing is, too, um, that people that don't have that belief, mm-hmm. look at your life and look at like you, I'll guarantee you are one of the people that's always like, oh, why does everything bad always happen to me? Like, I'm always having a shit day. Everything went wrong from the time I got out of bed till the time I went back to bed at night. You know, like all these things happen. That's because you're traveling on the path that you created for yourself, not the path that you're meant to be on. And so like a lot of people that we know uh, that don't have belief have that like constant turmoil and everything's going wrong. And, you know, because you're, you're living out what you want to do in a selfish manner. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's my soapbox for today. (laughs) 
Yeah, I've, I, you know, I, I've most of my life I've ignored religion because you know I when I visited all these like different churches and stuff, and so they would focus on very specific scriptures. They would ignore every other part of the Bible, and they were right. just repeating the Which same stuff problem. over and over. And like, yeah, okay, I already just I just heard this like two months ago. Come on, move on to something that I haven't heard, read in the Bible, and mm-hmm. you give me your interpretation. But they weren't giving me that because they're not allowed to say certain things right. and to wake you up to certain realities because mm-hmm. that's not the, what they were taught to teach. Right. You know, theology now is way different than it was 30 years ago. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I went to Catholic school. I grew up in Catholic church. Yeah. Um, it is very, very different now, and I am glad to say I'm not part of that anymore because uh, learning, you know, as an adult and growing about, like, the Catholic Church and the symbology and the rituals and the mm-hmm. uh, torture and, like, all kinds of stuff, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I don't do that anymore. Yeah. And then a lot of these YouTube channels, I mean, they're just regurgitating what exactly right. what I heard when I was in church. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, I can't listen to this person. They, mm-hmm. They're just as blind as. Yep. And it's funny because <laughs> um, like we have been on a journey here, uh, like we will go somewhere and then we're fine until we're not. Mm-hmm. And that moment that we get like uncomfortable, it's like, you know, a tap on the shoulder and God saying, this is not the place for you. And so we'll, we'll go somewhere else. And so we finally like found a place that we're comfortable that doesn't do weird things or feel <laughs> cultish or, you know, whatever. But I think that's the problem that a lot of people have um, is organized religion in general. Mm-hmm. And and how um, programmable a lot of that is, like you yeah. said, you know, and and this is the only thing that we're going to cover and we're going to hammer home just this one section and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more out there. And, you know, if you look at religions as a whole and, and where the originations came from and a lot of the Freemasons started all these mm-hmm. these religious organizations and it's like that's a huge problem mm-hmm. for me yeah you same. know they're totally distancing themselves from the actual word of scripture and they're interpreting it in these like very uh skewed ways mm-hmm. and you know you can you can tell by the way that they're just interpreting the the scriptures and they're just all regurgitating the same lines over and over and it's right. like that's that's not real right you know yeah, there, it, there's a lot of coding and there's a lot of misunderstanding for sure. Oh, like 100%. I, and that's what's great about the Bible is that I'm constantly interested and curious and I'm reading things from a different perspective because mm-hmm. I have a, I think I have a better outlook on life these days, right. especially. Yeah. Knowing that we've been deceived by everything that's around us. 100%. It's, it's the one thing that is 100% true. Yeah. It, And there's always a message and that's what um, like a lot of people don't understand that, you know, they're, they have apps for like the Bible and, and whatever, and you can type in like literally whatever 
you know, like anxiety or depression or whatever, and you will find verses that are geared toward that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and things that people struggle with. And that's why a lot of times in churches, um, they do like topical sermons um, about depression, anxiety, or, you know, whatever the case may be, not fitting in or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but there's not a lot of scripture involved. It's just like, you know, word vomit. They're just yeah. like saying whatever, but not relating it back to scripture because even people, you know, in those times, in God's time, Jesus' time, had, you know, emotional things that they were struggling with. Yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> so tell me um, really quick, because I want to talk to you about this as well. Um, tell me about like going into the military, like what made you decide to do it? And what did you do in the military? Uh, why? Um, I think there was just a lot of, crap that was going on in the news and then all my friends we were just getting in trouble we were drinking smoking and you know getting in fights all the time and we had no direction at all i'm like hey here's an idea let's join all join the military well <laughs> and then we'll all get bonuses we'll get ranked up and we'll make a lot of money and and we get to see the world and we'll all do it together and and you that know, was he, before you realized what military pay was. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I got into the recruitment center and no one else showed up with me, but I went in the office anyway. And then they, they gave me the whole pitch and, you know, I wanted to be an x-ray technician. They're like, well, right now we don't have that position available, but if you sign up right now, we'll make sure that you get into that position at a later time. And uh -huh. I was like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> so I signed up. Cross behind their back when they were telling you that. <laughs> yeah, and oh my god! And I spent the next three years trying to transfer out of out of being a combat engineer because I didn't want to be one of the first people on the battlegrounds mm -hmm. and you know digging up landmines and building bridges and mm -hmm. you know and because I had I went through sapper school and, and so I was considered special forces and so I knew that it would drop me out of a helicopter right in the middle of whatever war zone that we're in and <laughs> like, no. this is not what I wanted I really want just be an x-ray deck yeah and so that never happened so when my base was on the the list for defunding i was like they gave me the option to retire or transfer to another base and i was like i'm i'm out of here mm -hmm. you know i didn't take me two seconds to re to respond i'll retire you know <laughs> <laughs> that came out of my mouth before i ever read the statement fully yeah. yeah so how was it um like did you ever get sent like overseas no anything like that or I you... got really lucky um when I got assigned to my unit I didn't know at the time but they got deployed uh to Afghanistan or Iraq one of the two and I never got the notice because I had moved already so I had I went to go live with my father and then that base um 
you know, they demoted me because I didn't reply or I didn't report to the base that I was re reported to, to, uh, to without who I was assigned to. So I ended up getting demoted and I was like, I don't care. I didn't have to go overseas to mm -hmm. go to war. And exactly. so, and so I, I just thought of as, as a godsend. And then I got deployed and then it got canceled the next morning. And then, um, I heard another time they got deployed and I had already retired. And so there wasn't a need to have me taken out of a uh, reserve, uh, retired nice. reserve. Mm -hmm. So I avoided three deployments. Nice. And almost in less than, less than three years. Yeah. So something that uh, you and I were chuckling about before, because um, I had talked to Brody about this on another show uh, yeah. was because of your military training, like always like peeking around corners and looking at building tops and, and stuff like that. So talk to, talk to people about that. Yeah. My core training never really left me. Like I'm always like, e even to this day, like I will look around a corner and have this like stealth, way of walking around a corner like no one else can see it but i my my mannerism within my own body can can definitely see it so like i'm always prepared like i i think it has to do with some of the martial arts experience too mm -hmm. that i i'm always ready for some something to attack and mm -hmm. then i'll look at the tops of buildings and, and looking at open windows to see if there's anything peering out of it <laughs> yeah and it's funny, I do that too, but I've never had military training. I mean, my I'm the only one in my family that wasn't military, but I literally am like that every time I go somewhere and scoping things out and everything around about my surroundings. So like taking almost like mental photographs all the time. So mm -hmm. like I can describe things people are wearing or, you know, describe the position of something and and looking for people and whatever. Like when I went to DC, um, my head was on a swivel like the entire time. I'm like just getting there and I'm like, there's snipers on the rooftops. I'm like, there's, you know, this or that. And there's people in the crowd that are like giant wow. wads of money. They're paying people or, you know, whatever. Like I'm constantly like scanning the crowd, looking at people and my surroundings and stuff. But, it's a good thing to have those spidey senses. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you get to like um, that intuition that something bad is getting ready to happen? Mm -hmm. Do you get that? Uh, I, a, a lot of it is my imagination, but <laughs> I know like, for example, I was at the, we went to go see the Nutcracker over the holiday break and I'm looking around at the tops of the buildings and I'm like, oh, I wonder if that window opens and we can just peer through and like have a, you know, a sniper mm -hmm. rifle. Mm -hmm. Just little thoughts like that just kind of just pop into my head. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, this is I'm so far removed from the military, but yet I still think of that stuff. I don't think that's crazy, <laughs> though. I think that's I think that's good because um, you're 
like doing it? I mean, because if you have a gunman come into, you know, wherever you sell the nutcracker at or whatever, like you have that mindset of where would I be if I was going to be a sniper on this crowd? Yeah. It also could be just a lot of movies that I watched. (laughs) That's when I was hallucinating. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, sweetheart, it was such a pleasure having you on. I love chit-chatting with you because you're such an amazing person. Where can people find you at, my dear? Uh, you can find my podcast and all the major podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, under KGUP Presents, or you can go to the website at kgup1065.com. Um and then go to, I think it's podcast, it says. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember. But <laughs> it's a list of all the places where the podcast is being played. You can listen to the, the radio station that runs 24 hours a day. And it's all independent music artists that are local everywhere. I, I don't play anything mainstream because I can't stand mainstream music. <laughs> Amen to that. But me neither. I mean, I I want people to have the success of mainstream artists, but I don't really want them to become mainstream because I can tell the difference when they're when they're with a major label that it just becomes more demonic Mm -hmm. and and, and kind of like just dark and just gross. You know, (laughs) I'm going to give people a little ditty of the band to listen to that. um, If you like ACDC, you will like them. Um, they are definitely not famous. Uh, they have not been signed anywhere that I know of, but it's called airborne. Um, Mm, and they're like from another country or whatever, but they have that ACDC vibe going on, but yeah, they're really good. So there you go. Very cool. So thank you so much for having me on. I mean, I mean, it was was such a great time and you're you're very welcome. I love chit chatting with you. You're a cool dude. So everybody, go check out his show. Show him some love. Rate it five stars. Re- leave a review. Uh, share it. All of that good business. So for me and for Mikey J, we will see you next time. And everyone have a great day.